Welcome to the Ringer NBA Show. I'm Chris Vernon. Typically on Tuesdays, Kevin O'Connor from TheRinger.com joins us. He's going to join us on Friday this week, and we'll talk to him about his article, which I do want you to go check out at TheRinger.com about what the Lakers are doing and uh, whether or not they should engage in the process that the Philadelphia 76ers once did. So Kevin's going to join us later this week. Today... An all-star joining us, Sam Amick from USA Today, is joining us on the line. What's up, Sam? Mr. Vernon, good morning to you. How are you, sir? Well, I was. Uh, I was not expecting what I woke up to this morning. But when I wake up and I, <laughs> I do what everybody else does, right? I pull up Twitter and I'm seeing what's going on in the world, finding out what happened. I mean, I stayed up late watching the Grizzlies and the Suns last night, the last TNT game. Right. And then I crashed. And then I woke up this morning. And I'm flipping through. And it says, LeBron says Charles Barkley is, quote, a hater, and I was like, "Oh, this is going to be good." And then I go and get your popcorn. Yeah, get your popcorn, indeed. So I read the article. LeBron rips Charles Barkley, and uh, for those of you that have not seen it, which I can't imagine if you were listening to an NBA podcast, you haven't. Um, LeBron started by saying he's a hater. He said after the Cavs lost to the Dallas Mavericks, "What makes uh, what he says credible because he's on TV?" And then LeBron went on to uh, then really throw down the gauntlet. I'm not going to let him disrespect my legacy. I'm not the one that threw somebody through a window. I never spit on a kid. I never had an unpaid debt in Vegas. I never said I'm not a role model. I never showed up to All-Star Weekend on a Sunday because I was in Vegas all weekend partying. All I've done my entire career is represent the NBA the right way. 14 years, never got in trouble, respected the game, print that. Okay, I'm going to go through all of these different quotes. Uh, that were printed by ESPN and uh, Dave McMenamin last night. But let's start with that. Um, it's funny that the like the you know the like little subplot is that the Cavs lost to the Mavs, which is a despicable right. loss. <laughs> I mean, like that's like that would be the big story, right? That the Cavs lost to the Mavs. So LeBron did a unbelievable job of not making that the story. Um, let's start with the whole him coming out flamethrowing on Barkley immediately. I mean, it was wild. The the part of me that that loves it when guys give us some candor, you know, I love the story. You know, props to Dave McMenamin for doing a great job. And and that's one of those pieces that is a a relationship-based story where Dave's able to to have a good enough rapport with LeBron that he catches him on the side and, and asks him about what Chuck had to say. Uh, I'm torn on it a little bit. For one, I feel like the elephant in the room here is that the more the Cavs scuffle, the more LeBron has been chirping about everything and you know, anything and everything. And I don't love that because I feel like maybe it should be nose to the grindstone time and, and try to figure out your team instead of talking about how the roster is flawed and, and now taking shots at Barkley. But we should not be surprised at all that the Somebody, in this case LeBron, finally decided to tee off on Chuck. I mean, what I've learned over the years covering the league is that even though Chuck is obviously a member, uh, you know, an esteemed member of the NBA fraternity, that he really doesn't have any relationships with very many superstars. And that's by design. He wants to give his two cents. And most of the time, guys ignore it. Most of the time, they fume privately. Uh, when you're LeBron, you don't have to keep your stuff private. You have such a voice that, you know, you can win a, a PR battle like this or at least 
you know, inflict some serious damage. And, I mean, he did that. And the other side, Chris, is that kind of getting lost in the shuffle and that Bomani Jones had pointed out on Twitter was that, like, oh, by the way, you know it's a, a kind of a scintillating story when something like uh, an anecdote about Phil Jackson ignoring LeBron James in a suite at a game last year gets lost in the shuffle. I mean, that was kind of jammed in there as an aside and, and another guy that has had some critical things to say about LeBron. But uh, it was something else, man. He was unplugged. Yeah, it was like he was just going to air everything out, right? Because I read the part about Phil Jackson. I was like, what the hell? <laughs> like, I mean, what the I hell? Know. Like, I thought we were talking about Barkley, A, and right. B. Why is Phil Jackson not even talking to him? Like, that's just bizarre. Yeah, I, mean, yeah, I think the, the, the headline, obviously, is just kind of, you know, haters, front and center, haters on blast from LeBron. That's, that's what we're looking at here. And the Phil thing is strange. I mean, I wrote when Phil made his infamous Tashi comment, you know, definitely was on the side that thought it was out of line and, and just kind of you know, call it insensitive, call it ill-advised. Uh, you know, that was serious and strange, and, and I, that's on another podcast. I don't get how Phil doesn't seem to care about the way he's perceived by the league's best players. Um, and, yeah, and now we're sitting here looking at it like, and why in the world would he not say hello to somebody like LeBron in a suite? Uh, who knows? But this Chuck stuff... Um, it's something else, but again, in me right now, it's it's just they're playing like garbage, and I don't know what the answer is. Um, you can relate to this, Chris. So yesterday we had our podcast, and we had Kevin McHale on, and I was looking forward to talking to him, and it's one of those timing issues where you end up being a little bummed out because, like, Kevin and I talked about LeBron, but now that puppy comes out, you know, the podcast comes out this morning, and, you know, I wish I would have had a chance to get Kevin two cents on it. Um but, uh, I mean, LeBron is making noise right now. Yeah. All right, let's get to the other quotes. Go watch the 93 finals when John Paxton hit that shot. Barkley and Jordan were laughing and joking with each other during one of the games while somebody's shooting a free throw in the finals. But, oh, nobody were friends back then. I mean, he's like, I mean, I, I love all of this. This is great, right? Sure. So he's saying, he's saying, like, go check out on ESPN Classic when these old heads talk about how, you know, these guys are all friendly now and they pat each other on the butts as they're coming out to the game. They hug each other after the game. It didn't used to be like that. And LeBron's like, yo, I was right. watching. I went back and watched these games and these guys are clowning with each other. So stop it already. I love that aspect of it. I mean, I that one I'm more than fine with because it, to me it tells me a couple of things. For one, we've known for a long time that LeBron has got a great grasp of the history of the game. You tell an anecdote like that, you just revealed that you go back and you study the body language of some of the greats from finals past, from games past. I love that because that's somebody, you know, I can't stand whether it's hoops or any other sport athletes who are just in their own lane and all they pay attention to is their career and they don't kind of look up and smell the roses and realize what they're a part of, LeBron does. And and so he's calling the old dudes out, and I'll give him credit, too, though, that he's consistent on this front. He has, every so often, had a few things to say about the old heads and the revisionist history that goes on. I mean, I remember last year, and I forget specifically – uh, what was the story last year where uh, somebody was going in on Steph Curry and essentially saying, you know, it was one of the old players saying, uh, I think it might have been Oscar. It was Oscar yeah. Robertson, yeah. So I, I actually asked LeBron um, after a game, and it was just he and I talking, about Oscar and what he had had to say about Steph Curry. And 
he, he came to Steph's defense. He sat there and said that he was disappointed that some of these old heads, you know, seemed to feel inclined to throw a little bit of shade on what the current guys are doing. I think, you know, what we're learning here is that LeBron feels like from himself on down, the guys in today's game, you know, they deserve more respect than they're getting. I guarantee you it insults him that Chuck, and he didn't even bring this up, but, like, Chuck's the guy who came out and said the league's never been in a worse spot, which is ludicrous. Um, you know, you got to believe all that stuff comes into play. Okay, so let's get to the original, like, because I think this is going to get lost in it, which, you know, because the storyline's going to be LeBron goes after Barkley, uh, Barkley's a hater, LeBron ethered Barkley, uh, rest in peace, Charles Barkley. You know the way the internet's going to handle this. The original, the, the original criticism was that Barkley said that LeBron was being inappropriate and whiny and all the above, and what the hell does he want, basically? He's the best player in the world. Does he want to have all the good players? He don't want to compete. He's an amazing player. They're the defending champs, right? And basically the idea of why is he, why is he coming out talking about how they need more on their roster? And Le- LeBron, to that point, Point, said the following. Um, he said that he collects one check uh, from this, talking about being a player. He said, I collect one paycheck from this. Uh, he said of his role with the Cavs, there's the owner, Griff's the GM, I'm the player, screw Charles Barkley. <laughs> so what about the, the original charge that LeBron is in the wrong for coming out consistently talking about we need an effing playmaker, we need a point guard, like that he's consistently coming out in the media talking about what the Cavs don't have and Barkley's original charge that that comes off as inappropriate and whiny. I'm probably siding more with Chuck on this one, to be honest with you. I mean, he's, you know, LeBron can do what he wants, especially in the context of that organization. Part of going home again means you got a pretty long leash and so that is the case, but if you're just asking me what do I think about, you know, style points and the best way to effectively, uh, you know, impact change with your team, I don't think it's going through the press. And it feels, for me right now, like there's all a resentment, uh, but Dan Gilbert call it a, a friction in that relationship. I feel like there's something a little bit sour because, yes, LeBron came home. Yes, LeBron delivered a title to Cleveland. But if you talk to anybody – you know, who, who knows that situation, you know, it's not like he went home and he's having bear hugs with Dan Gilbert every time they see each other in the arena. It is a business relationship. And on the one side, you have Dan or maybe one of his associates leaking to Forbes magazine that they lost $40 million last year in a championship season, you know, and, and that side of the story. And then you got LeBron saying, I certainly hope that, we still want to win the title. He's basically saying, pony up, spend the money, keep cutting the checks. And and it's there's a lot here, Chris. I don't want to get lost in the weeds, but the, the part of the reason that I, I think it's a little hypocritical is that, you know, from Tristan Thompson to J.R. Smith, some of these guys that the Cavs have signed to above-market value deals, you know, it's largely because, you know, they're repped by Clutch Sports, which is LeBron's agency and Rich Paul, and he's got a ton of power. Uh, it just seems a little disingenuous to – to affect the process and get some of your guys paid maybe a little more than they would have elsewhere and then come back on the back end 
and criticize your owner for not wanting to spend more. How about this? I mean, the craziest thing I think about all this, Sam, is like you go back and you say, all right, here's the comments of all these guys. So you got LeBron, you know, getting to the point where he's cursing in the post games and saying that they need an effing playmaker, yada, yada, yada. You've got Gilbert that comes, or I'm sorry, you got uh, Griffin that comes out and says, we got enough to win a championship, right? He's kind of defending his role in all of this, like, stop it already. Our roster's good enough. We've got three all stars on the team. Um, and JR's been hurt, whatever. The most measured of all of them might have been Gilbert when I saw his quote two days ago when they asked him about the Cavs' recent struggles, and his answer was simply, it's January, right? I mean, there's crazy stuff going on. There's crazy stuff going on all around the league. Like, of all of these... Of all these people that have their, you know, the, 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 that are amped up about all of this, and clearly there's a, a lot of frustration boiled over, maybe the best quote of all of them was the, the goofy owner who says it's January, and are we going to look, what do you think, Sam? You think we're going to look back at this and say, hey, you know, we should have seen the warning signs, or are we going to look back and go, boy, they were effed up in January, so what are we surprised yeah, at I now? Mean, I think, I mean, I think Dan said in the right tone where he's telling his troops to calm down because it's January. I think, and I'm always reticent to, you know, I don't want to say this here and, and I take this stance and then look back and laugh at it months later when I'm wildly wrong. But I feel like LeBron potentially is sending a negative message to his teammates. It feels to me like, geez, man, when you're the defending champs, I mean, you shouldn't be out of swagger by January. You know what I mean? Like you shouldn't be looking to the front office to save you by January, and, and by the way, as we sit here and, and chat in real time, Chris Haynes of ESPN just put a story up saying the Cavs are going to host a free agent workout. And the point of bringing this up is, you know, like, are any of these guys going to save the Cavs? Here's who, here's who they're working out. Mario Chalmers, Lance Stevenson, Kirk Heinrich. Like, what are we talking about here? You know, the Cavs' problem is not an effing playmaker. The Cavs' problem, and I'm stealing Kevin McHale's perspective on this that he gave me yesterday, Cavs' problem is defense. They're not defending right now, and there's all this noise about them needing a playmaker. And then you look at these names that we're talking about, and it's ridiculous. Lance would be hysterical. I mean, listen, I, I've co- I, 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 co- I covered both Chalmers and Lance last year, and and truth be told, if Chalmers was okay coming back from the Achilles, the Grizzlies would have brought him back. I mean, the, the, right, the kid right. the kid blew out his Achilles. And obviously, we're seeing Wes Matthews kind of come back, but that injury sucks. I mean, I feel horrible for Rudy oh, yeah. Gay. I feel horrible for Rudy Gay because the track record on, you know, 30-plus with an Achilles, is it, it's, it's not pretty. Dominique is, is kind of the only guy. If you're, if you're Rudy and, and these guys who have Achilles tears, Dominique Wilkins is, is kind of the only guy in NBA history that – was actually, I don't know if you could say he was better afterwards, but he had some really good years after he tore the Achilles. But you know, we saw with Kobe what happened and, and so many other guys. I mean, it's brutal. Well, and listen, when Yogi Ferrell is 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 playmaking on you, and and and, and right. him and him and Curry's little brother, like your problem ain't that you don't have playmakers. Yogi Ferrell. Love, man. I mean, Yogi Ferrell's busting your ass, you know? Like, that's that's real, really? Like, your problem is you don't have playmakers? I mean, Yogi Ferrell's busting your ass. 
Although it's not good. to change topics, but man, how about Dallas beating beating the Spurs and beating the Cavs? Not too shabby. I think this is the time of year. I mean, I actually I harken back to the Gilbert quote, and I said this last week on a podcast that I'm now for this span of time until we reach the All Star break, I'm going to attempt to not make any sweeping judgments or declarations on what is what because it feels like we right. get to this time of year every year, the dog days, and you just see some incredibly odd outcomes on a nightly basis. That being said, before all of this LeBron stuff came out, I saw I was listening to Bill Simmons' podcast with House from last weekend, and they were having a, a bit of a discussion, and Simmons took more of the Barkley side, whereas Joe House said he was totally on the other side and said, and, and one of the things he brought up, which I did find fascinating, he said it is a basketball crime. He said go look at minutes per game, and I, and I, I did not realize this until he said it. LeBron is leading the league in minutes per game. He is playing 37.5 minutes per game. Like, how is he... How, how no, is he that, leading? That part, yeah, for sure. For sure. I'm glad you brought that up. I was going to say the one thing we can't lose here is to make folks think that we don't see the, the bigger picture because it's not about LeBron thinking that an effing playmaker is going to take them to the next level. It is about fatigue, workload, and I think... His anxiety, this is kind of the, you know, armchair psychiatry stuff. I think his anxiety is that he knows once the playoffs get there, he wants to still have that extra gear. He wants to be able to do what he did last season and take these guys back to the mountaintop. But if you get to mid-April and you're just absolutely exhausted because you didn't have anybody else helping you carry that load, even if it's a guy like some names we're talking about, I think that's his concern. I mean, these guys... The roster is still good, but they've taken so many hits. You lose Dylan Dova, you know, JR goes down. Uh, you got some of these other things going on. I mean, I, I understand the fatigue aspect of it. Uh, you know, I just don't know about how he's going about trying to get that message across. LeBron capped off his comments by saying, I'm tired of biting my tongue. There's a new sheriff in town. Like, I, I seriously hope this is the, I hope this is the new LeBron, Sam. Now we know what next uh, next year's Halloween party is going to look like. He's going to have oh. the, the sheriff's the sheriff's badge and, and the hat and the whole work. No, this coffee. is. So what do you what do you think? All right, let's try to predict. We flip on inside the NBA on Thursday night. What's Barkley's response? I kind of think he's going to. I don't think he's going to come firing back. Like I think he's going to no, kind of be agree. like he's going to talk about how amazing LeBron is and he's going to try to like. I don't know. I think he's going to try to chill it out, don't you? I don't know, though. But, I listen, I'll be watching. I, I can't miss it. Probably because, you know, there's LeBron's got more than enough kind of gravitas when it comes to his reputation. And, and so much of what he said was factually accurate, what LeBron said. You know, when he talks about the way he's represented the league, he's not wrong. And, and when he talks about some of Charles's transgressions, now, the I'm not a role model thing, that was Chuck's choice, and I still think there's value in the stance that he took at that time. I mean, his message, I feel like LeBron missed the point there. I mean, his message was, hey, mom and dad, you're the role models, you know, not us. Uh, but some of the other stuff is real. You, he did throw a guy through a window. He did, you know, he claimed accidentally on a kid. You know, that stuff happened. So LeBron has got a, a, a relatively clean slate. You know, he had the P, uh, PR disaster of the decision. And beyond that, you're talking about a guy who's been a lightning rod uh, even though he's not really gotten in trouble ever. So I think Charles will be somewhat uh, diplomatic about it. I think he'll explain his stance. And, you know, I don't think it's going to be 
like a Warriors situation where you always like you feel like every time the Warriors fire back at Charles, like he loves it and he can't wait to take the whole thing up another notch. But I don't think that's going to happen here. Barkley is, I would say, generally beloved. Everybody like you know amongst NBA fans sure. and even even non NBA fans. I mean, he is a beloved character in sports media, which is a hard thing to pull off. And he is also he's interesting, um, and so people want to see him. And he is probably I would say as popular an analyst as there is in any sport. And I do wonder, you know, you're going to get the whole you know the way the internet does this. It's almost like Drake and Meek Mill, right? It's going to be like oh LeBron trashed, you know. Uh, you know Charles Barkley, and then they're going to do the you know they're going to have the tombstones with Barkley's name on it, whatever. Which I'm going to laugh at the whole time, but I do wonder who most people side with in this, right? That's what makes it a great feud. Uh, Le- I don't know if Barkley has near as many haters as LeBron, but LeBron may have way more fans. You know what I mean? Like people that really right, right. love him. So it's a it's an interesting it's an interesting feud to say the least, right? They're both like. LeBron's got haters, but people that like love, 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 love him. Whereas I think the general consensus, most people, I, I, there's not, I don't think there's, I, at least I don't run into him. A lot of people running around hating Charles Barkley. I mean, I think there's a, a fair amount. I mean, he, he's always mixing it up with different fan bases, whether it's the Warriors one that I mentioned, or, or you know, off-color comments that he made about about the San Antonio folks a few years back. I mean, over the years. I think that list has gotten longer of parts of the country, in the NBA country, so to speak, that are not big on Chuck. And, and beyond that, I mean, I think you already hit on the main thing here is is that in terms of how big of a base each of these two guys have. I mean, LeBron's base trumps, uh, you know, poor choice of words there, but is much much bigger than than uh, Chuck's. And you know, like you said, I think he'll probably put some. Some water on the fire, Chuck will, with, with the TNT execs, I'm sure, telling him, well, don't let this thing die too quick because I'm sure they love it. I mean, it's, you know, this is why, it sounds like a commercial here, but I think what TNT does is so effective and, and so good and they've done so well for so long is when you have actual former players and, and not, you know, every, every man types, these are stars. When you have these guys on your payroll and you convince them to actually share their opinion, Inevitably, you're going to have dust ups like this that, as far as entertainment goes, it's fantastic. Okay, so the sidebar to all of this is that the, the, the Mavericks did beat the Cavaliers. Um, yep. Is it is it just January or are the is there a real problem with the Cavs? In your opinion, I don't. I mean, I'm big on you know you try to grab some substance from what's happening in the regular season. And I think there is some substance here. Does that mean I think there's no way that they win the title? No, I'm not saying that. But, I mean, when they lost uh, three in a row earlier in the season, uh, I went back and looked at it, and I think they had only done that either once or twice last year. Like, if once you start rattling off stretches of kind of futility like we are seeing right now from them, then it's fair to start, you know, you're not going to wave a white flag or reach for that panic, but, but it's something in between. Um, they, you know, even Mo Williams is a guy we haven't mentioned. You know, they have all these guys that contributed to their championship and Matthew Delavadova going to Milwaukee and things of that nature. This is still a team game. We are star-driven with the way we, we talked about the game. 
we talk about LeBron in superhuman terms, but he's not superhuman. There is a limit to what he can do. Kyrie is very limited as a player. He's fantastic, but he's got his limit. And don't have another guy who can carry the load and check nearly as many boxes as LeBron does. So, you know, I mean, I think they are very flawed. And, and the fact that the defense has gone from being mediocre to bad, I mean, it's never been good this entire season. It would bug me when people would talk like the Cavs had an elite defense. I don't think they've gotten any higher than maybe 14th or 13th defensive rating all season long. And you can't win a title that way. So, I mean, I think there's there's some actual meat on this bone. With Toronto faltering, do you now view Boston as their biggest threat? I think so. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, I, I enjoyed the conversation that you and Kevin O'Connor had about um, Isaiah Thomas and that piece that he had done in that interview and, and, and getting a greater sense of the Celtics and where they're at. Uh, you know, they've got their flaws, too, and Isaiah's carrying a heck of a load just unbelievably playing his way into that MVP conversation. Dude, did you see that last night? Did you see the game last night? That fourth quarter, I mean, holy crap. He was was unbelievable. It's unreal what he does. And that was, you know, one of the little tidbits I pulled from your guys' conversation that I thought was was fascinating. Actually, this was Isaiah talking to Kevin, was that mentality that he tries in the first three quarters to essentially set up his fourth quarter and and the game behind the game that stuff was was rich it was really really good and it's you know as a guy who as you know I'm still living in Northern California south of Sacramento I've seen Isaiah from the days when he couldn't get past Jimmer Fredette on the depth charts to this I mean it's just unreal but he is in my years covering the league if you ask me just who's got more fortitude and just willpower and just refusal to let anybody tell him what he can't do. I mean, Isaiah, if he's not on the top of the list, he's on the short list. He's on oh, I'm glad you so, brought that up. I'm glad you brought that up, Sam. Whose fault is it that Isaiah's not in sack, that that didn't happen? Um, I, mean, I think, I mean, like anything else, there's layers to it. Um, but, I mean, listen, Isaiah's told me out of his own mouth that he felt like if DeMarcus wanted him back, he would have been back. And that's the thing that gets lost on a lot of people is they they didn't share the ball very nicely when they were playing together. And DeMarcus used to, to really get frustrated with, you know, he'd, he'd go get position in the post and the ball wouldn't be there waiting for him. And as great as DeMarcus has been this season, last season, you know, the way they play, there's no mistaking anymore that, you know, when he's on the block, when he, if he wants the ball, you give him the ball. That's all there is to it. And when Isaiah was there, that wasn't the case. And it's too bad that they didn't work that out. I don't know what they could have been. I mean, listen, they they, they won 20-something games playing an entire season together. So it's not like this was some magical duo that, that never got spread its wings. But I think that played a big part. And then, I mean, Pete D'Alessandro, who at the time was the GM, um, I, they just they swung and missed bad when it comes to the idea that Isaiah, and this was something that they were, you know, that that management team was kind of putting out there behind the scenes that, that he was more a part of the problem than people realized from a personality standpoint. And and I think that was the wrong read. And, and I think that, you know, that related to Cotton. And then now all of a sudden, I mean, you couldn't look any worse. I mean, this guy's just unreal. 
Yeah. Speaking of boogie, do we see playoff boogie for the first time? Right now, the Nuggets are a game and a half up on the Blazers, but you've got this team, which is even. I mean, think about this: after the Mavs won last night, they're four games out of eighth place, which is just insanity, right? I know. Can you believe? I mean, the Mavericks are four games out of the playoffs. So you've got Denver, Portland, Sac, New Orleans, Minnesota. And Dallas. Denver, Portland, Sac, Minnesota. Dallas. Dallas. Lakers in there somewhere. They, well, they they're three games. They're three in. games. They're three games back from Dallas and seven games out of the eighth seed. So I'm I'm discounting the Lakers and the Suns. All right. Yeah, they've fallen off the cliff. Uh, I'm still probably riding with Portland. The Kings are inconsistent, and they've they've gotten better in some regards. But uh, you know they. They're still scuffling way too often. Uh, the Blazers are too, but I'm a big proponent of experience mattering, and you still have several players on this team that I uh, – sorry, Chris, I got a dump truck that decided to come drive up next to me here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe that's apropos as we sit here talking about the eighth seed that uh, is absolute garbage. They're, they heard us. <laughs> uh, so – the, the Blazers are a trip because they have the talent to certainly get that eight seed. Um, you know, I've said this before, getting Aminu back was big, and it's been quite a while since he came back. Um, I'll say, you know, the Blazers, though, they they got to figure out their late game offense. Uh, you know, Damian Lillard, you know, he, it, they didn't come up with Lillard time for nothing. This guy is a late game closer, and what has puzzled me recently is that Terry Stotts is going a different direction late in games, I think that's probably ill-advised, not only if you're trying to win the game, but if you're trying to, to make sure a guy like Damian, who's been a, a real ambassador for that city, uh, you know, to keep him content. Uh, that's something I think worth monitoring a little bit. But, you know, but with Damian, CJ, and the rest of that crew, I think they can get the AC. It's not going to be a, a real impressive AC, but I think they'll probably get it. And that would make for at least a reasonably fun first-round series because Damien's had his moments against Golden State for sure. More importantly, Chris, it'll make for easy travel for us West Coasters that'll just uh, <laughs> jump up and down the West Coast. That's what it's all about. Just I love That's a problem I have with your backyard. I love the Grizzlies as an organization, and I, and I love what they built, and I have such a guilty conscience because, my God, it's hard to get out there, and that's when – Come playoff time when we're going, you know, through Utah or through Denver and eight-hour flights to get out to Memphis. It's it's the uh, the sad tragedy of NBA travel is, is how Memphis e- gets. You got the e. You got the easiest. Come on, Central Time Zone is the superior time zone. Everybody knows this. Come on. When I was out in when the I was out in Ca- good. yeah yeah yeah. It's, come on, and like, that's the that's. I mean, when I was out in Los Angeles, I felt so. It was just so weird, man. Like, I just, I don't know. I guess I've just always lived in the central time zone. And so, and obviously I've traveled to the East Coast, traveled to the West Coast. But I always forget that, like, when you wake up in the morning, like, even if you wake up at, like, I don't know, like, even if you go and eat breakfast and you're done with stuff, like, on the East Coast, if it's 9 o'clock, it's, like, noon. I I just feel like everything has already happened, right? Like, I just, I feel like I'm out of the mix. Like, everything's already happened. There's some of that. Well, I mean, fittingly, literally like 30 seconds ago, uh, I was 
hitting ignore on a phone call from my my Washington D.C. based editor. So he's sitting there at eleven forty, thinking like, all right, can I talk to my guy yet out on the West Coast? So I I, I got to battle that. <laughs> all right, let me take a quick break because then I want to I want to come back and I want to ask you one more question about uh, everything that's going on with the immigration policy and the reaction from the sports world. Today's NBA show is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Are you hiring? Do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? Posting your job in one place isn't enough to find quality candidates. If you want to find the perfect hire, all you need to do is post your job on all the top job sites, and now you can. ZipRecruiter already has 9 million resumes you can search through in their database. You can add multiple people to your account to make it the most efficient for your team and find the best hire. With ZipRecruiter.com, you can post your job to 100-plus job sites, including social media networks like Facebook and Twitter, all with a single click. ZipRecruiter is a search engine for finding and posting jobs. Find candidates in any city or industry nationwide. Just post once and watch your qualified candidates roll in to ZipRecruiter. Recruiter's easy-to-use interface. They've been featured on Forbes, Wall Street Journal, Time Magazine, New York Times, TechCrunch, and CBS. ZipRecruiter's website shows trending career fields, cities, and searches. And right now, my listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com backslash ringer. That's ZipRecruiter.com backslash ringer. One more time, try it for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com backslash ringer. NBA show is also brought to you by Simply Safe. I think we can all agree that keeping our homes safe is an extremely high priority, but it shouldn't come at the expense of signing your life away on a confusing long-term contract. Thankfully, there's a smart way to protect your home. Simply Safe Home Security. These are the guys I trust. With Simply Safe, there's no annual contracts, no middlemen. You get superior protection for less than half of what the traditional companies charge. Built by Harvard educated engineers to make you safer, Simply Safe provides professional monitoring with police dispatch so your home is safe around the clock. Plus, it's wireless and portable with a cellular connection built in, so there's no lines that can be cut by potential intruders. It's unbeatable protection, a great value, and there's no contracts. So protect your home the smart way. Go to Simply Safe, S-I-M-P-L-I-S-A-F-E dot com slash ringer and get 10% off your system today. Go now. That's simplysafe.com slash ringer. All right, Sam, I know the USA Today has written about this and a lot of the writers have talked to different athletes and you're seeing more athletes talk about it over the course of the last couple of days. The way the sports world has been impacted by the immigration policy enacted by Donald Trump over the weekend. Um, What's the sense of you have gotten? What have you gathered from talking to people about it? It seems to be. You know, nobody's saying I agree with it, right? It's it's rather unpopular, um, almost across the board. Um, so it's it would stand to reason it's unpopular in the sports world. But it was one of those odd deals where people were talking about how it could affect the sports world and, importantly, the NBA, which has become a global game. Yeah, I mean, you know, so far, um, you know, you got a lot of players being very vocal. As Cantor, I thought. You know, really struck a nice chord. And Dennis, you know, grew up in Turkey and is Muslim. And he tweeted, make America kind again, you know, hashtag Muslim ban. Uh, you got Luol Deng uh, from the Congo talking about how proud he is to essentially be a refugee. Um, guys are outspoken. It's, it's a global league. They take a lot of pride in that. And, you know, thankfully so far, 
the the biggest headlines in terms of players being impacted by it. You know, there was the correct me where I'm wrong because I'm I'm shady on the details, but it was the two players in Iran, I believe. Yeah, they were playing professionally over there, and uh, and they had gotten stuck. So I mean, it's a mess, and yet again, we are seeing the NBA to an extent be uh, you know a decent little pulse when it comes to some of the social issues in our country. A lot of guys are outspoken about Black Lives Matter with the kind of unique perspective that I think is worth sharing and worth listening to from a certain faction of society. And now we're seeing a different wrinkle of the same type of situation where because it's such a global league, this is not a case of a bunch of American born and bred football players from the ACC weighing in on the immigration policy. These are human beings who have, you know, come over here by various means and, and it's the American story told over and over and over again. And so, you know, again, I think it's worth sharing and worth listening to. So tough times in our country. I don't know how you feel. I mean, there's days where I get up and, and it, I, I got to talk myself into to, to really engage in the basketball front because of how prevalent some of this stuff is. And, and, you know, and then it's intertwining consistently with the league that we cover again, because, you know, these are people, they're not just players. It's interesting that you uh, that you bring up guys being willing to speak out because two of the most prominent coaches, Greg Popovich and Steve Kerr, have been. They kind of seem like the go-to guys. Reporters seem rather comfortable talking to them about social issues, and then those become headlines. They're free. They're, they are uh, willing to speak their mind. And do you think that is something about the way the NBA is? Do you think it's because both of them are totally secure in their jobs and whatever they want to say, they can say? Because, and I know, like, you, Stan Van Gundy, right, to speak, spoke his mind. I mean, there are, there are other guys. But this is, this is rather uncommon in the sports world, wouldn't you say? Like, I, like this week, Dan, you, you, you're not going to see any headlines about Dan Quinn and Bill Belichick. Right, talking about right, what they think right. about Trump's immigration policy, and they're and they're on the yeah. literally the biggest stage ever. No, absolutely. I mean, I think part of it is it's safe to assume that you know you talk about I don't know if this is a bad way of putting it, but your your constituents, Steve Kerr's constituents, Greg Popovich's constituents, are you know, it's a, a very diverse, uh, large minority crowd, and so it's it's guys and human beings that I think you know, our right to expect a certain, uh, not necessarily a certain type of perspective. Everybody's allowed to have their own view, but a certain type of sensibility and sensitivity to the issues. And and so the, the crowd that they're speaking to is not just the public, if you're Steve and if you're Pop. You know, I think there have been times when I felt like they were speaking to their own locker rooms through the media and trying to show support in that way. You know, Pop, you talk about job security, Pop's on a different level. I mean, he was in Sacramento a while back when he was asked about the irony that he had been so outspoken against Donald Trump. And his owner, Peter Holt of the Spurs, is, is known to be a, a big-time backer of Donald Trump. And, and I think the reporter had asked, in essence, you know, um, do you appreciate, and I'm paraphrasing, but it was close to this, like, do you appreciate Mr. Holt, uh, you know, being comfortable with you sharing your views like this. And he took exception to it and said, Mr. Holt's not giving me a green light to speak. I speak because I'm a human being and I'm a citizen. So Pop's got the job security to, to, you know, handle it that way. And I think we're all better for it. And Steve, you know, specifically with this immigration policy thing, I mean, talking about 
an even more perspective than normal. You know, when your father was literally killed by terrorists, the professor over in Lebanon at the, uh, the University of Beirut, you know, this hits home for him. But he's, he's able to say, you know, as somebody who was a victim of terrorism, I don't agree with this approach to trying to, uh, to handle the, the problem of terrorism. So uh, I enjoy that, you know, I think a lot about the NFL media and whether or not some of the folks who cover that league may be privately or even publicly frustrated that, you know, their guys don't engage as much. And they seem to kind of be more focused on the almighty dollar and saying the right things and not taking off, you know, their fan base. Uh, I don't know if, how much of an incentive that is, but but I'm glad the NBA is the way it is. Well said. Uh, last thing, who you got? Patriots and Falcons. I want to know. Man, I'm, I'm terrible. It's it's really sad. The longer I cover the league, the more out of touch I am with other sports. But but I'll play along and I'll say, any 39 year old dude, who by the way I'm 39 too, who can look as good as Tom Brady is looking right now as far as how he's playing the game. I'm loving it. I mean, I saw a tweet the other day that was just highlighting the obvious, which is that we're usually asking at this point, you know, how much longer could a guy like Tom Brady have? It's unreal that you could be at the top of your game like he is uh, at this stage of your career with all the miles and all the championships, all the seasons. Um, so I'll go with the Patriots, and, and also because I'm a sucker for storylines. I mean, I love – the idea that Roger Goodell is going to have to hand a trophy to that group after everything that happened with Flategate and whatnot. So uh, if the Falcons win, I think you know we're all going to be missing out on on some good, uh, some more popcorn material like we talked about at the, the beginning here. I mean, entertainment-wise, that would be fantastic. My man, you can follow Sam Amick on Twitter at Sam underscore Amick. You can read him at the USA Today, and you can check out that podcast that he mentioned earlier, the one with Mikhail is up. Uh, that is NBA A to Z, and you can find that on iTunes. Sam, you're the best. Thanks for catching up today. You got it, Chris. Have a good day, brother. All right, brother. If you dig what you're hearing, go give us a rating and review on iTunes, and we will talk to you on Thursday. Hey,